Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today grew up in Great Neck, New York. She attended college and law school at Yale. For many years, she practiced as an attorney with a public defender's office before turning to writing full time. She studied at the Writing Institute at Sarah Lawrence College, and her work has been published widely online and in print. Her debut novel, Unreasonable Doubts, was named a finalist for the Women's Fiction Writers Association Star Award in 2019. Her first middle grade novel, My Name is Layla, won the 2021 Gold Medal in the Moonbeam Children's Awards in Preteen Fiction. Her latest novel, Both Are True, is called a moving novel that examines what it means to start over with surprising consequences. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Raina Martyr Ginton. Thanks so much for having me. Our opening question, Raina, is always, so what took you so long to write your first book? Well, I guess my answer would be that I had a different career going. I was not at all somebody that, you know, was doing one thing and wanted always to be a writer. That was really never in my thoughts. Um, I was a practicing attorney for nearly 25 years, and that pretty much got me to the over 50 category um, by the time I started writing. Well, you write in several different genres or maybe age groups. How do you immerse yourself into each one? Is there a learning curve? There was definitely a learning curve. Um, Both my first book and my most recent book have a a big legal element. Um, They, the main characters are lawyers and the stories revolve around the cases that they're dealing with. So that maybe was less of a learning curve. The middle grade book, I really had to get my head back in the 13 to 14 year old range. And, um, and it was hard to do, but it, it was very moving in a way to kind of bring myself back there and remember the kinds of things that were going on both in my own life and in the world um, at that time, and really try to transpose those emotions onto my main character. I'm sure it was nostalgic. <laughs> it would it, be it for was. me. It was. Once you wrote your first book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to use a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? I did look for an agent for a while, and it just didn't seem to be happening for me. Um, And I don't know if that's something that is common amongst your over 50 guests. I would guess it is, Um, partly because you've come to the game late and partly because the whole social media 
platform. You know, I, I really didn't have one at all when I started to look into it. Um, so I gave up after a while and I did go with a hybrid press. I published the first book um, with She Writes Press and I had really a, a very good experience with them. She Writes is very well respected in the industry and they create such a, a writing community among the women. They really did. And I, you know, I met so many women through that. And then, you know, some of those women introduced me to the Women's Fiction Writers Association. And, you know, now there's it kind of snowballs and that's really an important thing. What about your writing routine? Are you a morning person or a night person? I'm more of a morning person generally. I, I tend to not get much done once it hits the afternoon. Um, but I, honestly, I found COVID very difficult. I don't know how other people are reacting, but everybody was home for a long time. Everybody was trying to work out of the house. My husband is still working out of the house. And I, I found it kind of disruptive to my own productivity, but I'm hoping things are getting back to normal now. I know I've interviewed some people who just had great writing time during COVID and created all these books. And some people said they couldn't get a sentence on the paper. Yeah, I'm, I'm more in the latter group. <laughs> Did real people inspire any of your characters? For sure, the first book was very much based on my own career. Um, and I know that's common amongst people writing their first novels. Uh, it was set in an office that was very much the office that I had worked in. And a lot of the characters were inspired by people that I knew. Um, the last book, I have to say, was kind of liberating not having it be people <laughs> that were all people that I knew, you know, I could stop going to book groups and having people ask me, is that really your mother? Or is that really your husband? Because I, this time I could say, no, that's actually not my mother or my husband. Um, whereas the first time around, they were pretty much my mother and my husband. So, um, yeah. Did any of your colleagues recognize themselves? My colleagues definitely recognized <laughs> themselves. Um, and, but in a good way, also, we had had a colleague who passed away from ovarian cancer while I was working there. She was my office mate. We were very good friends. And it was really a, a tribute to her in, in the novel that I was able to, you know, to do. And people who read it obviously recognized her and the story. And I, I think they found it comforting. What about the editing process? What editing do you choose to use? Um, I've done a number of things. I'm in a writing workshop. So I, um, do submit pages every two weeks to them and kind of hear what everybody has to say. And it's led by somebody who was a writing professor for many years. Uh, but I also use a developmental editor um, with my, with my first and my third book, uh, somebody that I trusted and I sent it off to them and she came back with a lot of important thoughts, I think for the books. Um, so, and, and then, you know, because I'm, with small presses, I think that they don't have as an intensive editing process as maybe a, a larger um, shop would have. So I didn't find that that was as helpful, you know, as the things that I had to do myself. What about publicity? Most of us do not like to promote ourselves. We'd rather be writing. Have you found anything that worked or maybe that didn't work? I've had very good experiences with the publicists that I've used for the books. That being said, I couldn't really tell you what much worked or didn't work. I felt like I got a fair amount of exposure. I felt like people knew the book was out there, but whether that actually sold books, I don't know. I think the only thing that really moved the needle, at least for me on my first book, was that I got a book bub 
featured deal. And that, so that in one day I sold something like 3000 eBooks, but for me, the 3000 was quite something. And, you know, that was great, but I wasn't able to get the deal again with my other books. So it's very hit or miss, I think. It's huge to get a book, bub. I think I've been trying every month for years and so it's very difficult to, to get, I think I had an international one, Yeah, I had but, an international but, one also with the other book, but, but I don't think they work as well as the no. U S ones and 3000 books is a lot. It was, it was, it was fabulous. But as I say, I don't think it's going to happen again. <laughs> you never know. It's like a lightning strike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some people get more than one. Tell us a little bit about your new book and set it up for us so that you can read a section so that we can hear your tone and voice in the book. Sure. So the newest book is called Both Are True. And it's about a woman named Jackie Martin, who has been recently appointed as a family court judge in Manhattan. And she is kind of a controlling personality, very type A. And she thinks that she can just go into the courtroom and fix all the dysfunction in all these families just by sheer force of her will. Um, And she finds that she can't. And in the process, she also loses her boyfriend. So it's, it's kind of a love story and kind of a legal story. We follow along to see whether they end up together or how they find their own real paths. Um, So yeah, I can, I'd be happy to read a little bit if that's good. Um, so this scene is in the courtroom and uh, a, new qu- a new case is being called. What's on tap, Angela? Jackie perused the docket sheet, but she was never good with names. The list was a long litany of abandonment, abuse, domestic violence, drugs, neglect, juvenile delinquency. Only once in a while did Jackie preside over something happy, an adoption or a family reunification. All continued hearings on cases you've already seen, Angela said. Only one new matter, Clark, a neglect. Here's the petition. She pulled it up on Jackie's monitor. This mom, Darlene Clark, was accused of neglecting her two daughters, ages seven and five. According to the Department of Social Services, Clark had failed to ensure the girls' attendance at school, not taken them for routine medical care and inoculations, and not fed them sufficiently. The allegations were serious, but didn't rise yet to the level of abuse. Maybe with intensive court-ordered support and education, Miss Clark could turn this around. Jackie hoped so. When her chief court officer, Mike, called the Clark case, Jackie looked up from her computer screen. She motioned to Angela, who was immediately by her side. What are those kids doing in here? Jackie hardly ever saw the children who were the subjects of the neglect or abuse cases. Yet here they were, two girls carefully dressed for the occasion in matching denim shorts and purple t-shirts. They looked underweight, but not alarmingly so. Jackie watched as Mike gently led them away from their mother and seated them in the back. He handed them each two chocolate kisses from the glass jar Angela kept on her desk. Potential in-court removal, imminent risk of harm, Angela said, leaning over to speak in Jackie's ear. As she spoke, the caseworker, flanked by two additional court officers who appeared out of nowhere, escorted the Clark children from the courtroom in stunned silence. Darlene Clark, who may not have completely understood the legal ramifications of what was happening, understood enough. She let out an ear-splitting wail, a blaring distress signal emanating from the deepest core of her being. That keening, so unnatural and otherworldly, sent Jackie back to her parents' house on Long Island. She's 10 years old and it's springtime. On top of a bush that abuts the front porch, a robin has built a nest. 
The eggs are blue. She understands why the color is called Robin's egg blue, because it has an intensity of identity and a purity she's never seen anywhere else. Before and after school, Jackie checks on the nest, watches the mother sitting protectively on the eggs. A couple of weeks pass, and miraculously, the tiny baby birds hatch. Now both mother and father go back and forth to the nest, sustaining the young with worms. Jackie loves the birds like they are the pets her mother has never allowed. One afternoon, Jackie is inside playing the piano. Over the sound of her never-perfected fur Elise, she hears the most piercing, grief-filled sound, that keening. When she races to the window, a hawk is inches from the nest. The mother bird is inconsolable. It's a sound that Jackie never would have thought the bird capable of making, a howling so profound. Jackie bangs on the window and flails her arms, shouting at the hawk, drop the baby bird, drop him. The hawk flies away, baby bird in its mouth, while the robin's death knell continues. In another moment, the mother bird quiets and turns back to the nest. Jackie imagines her folding, sorry, finding the strength to comfort the babies that are left after a loss that is unfathomable. The father, attentive when times were good, is nowhere to be seen. And now this woman in her courtroom was making the same sound. Wow. That was so descriptive. And I love the analogy. Yeah, it's a, a scene that happened to me, both of them. I was in the courtroom when a mother had her children removed and we had the robin's nest outside. <laughs> and, I, and I always put the two together in my head. So that was wonderful. Thank you. Do you still make time to read for pleasure? And if so, what genres do you read? I read all sorts of things. Um, I read very slowly, so I don't end up reading nearly the volume that I wish I could get through. Uh, people are always asking me, did you read this? Did you read that? <laughs> I say, no, I'm still reading one from, you know, three months ago. Um, but yeah, I read, I read a lot of contemporary fiction. I read a lot of books by friends that are writing. Now that I'm kind of in that community, I feel like it's important to support each other. Well, I can only read by listening to audiobooks when I'm riding my bike or taking long trips because mm. I can't, I think if I'm seated, I feel like I need to be riding myself. All so right. I like to listen. So that might help you. Maybe, maybe I should try. You don't retain as much, you know, if you're not looking at the, the words on the page, but it, it goes a lot faster for me. Mm. How long on average do you think it takes for you to write a book? I think it's so um, based on what's going on in your life. Generally, the first book, I had just quit my job. I had nothing else really to do. And I was very much intent on getting it all out on the page. It was very cathartic. <laughs> so I wrote that, you know, really pretty quickly. And then this, I'm working on something now. I started right at the beginning of COVID and I'm, I'm really nowhere still. So I feel, I feel like it's already been two plus years and it could be a while longer. So was there anything that you edited out of any of your books that, that didn't make the cut? Mm, not that I can think of offhand. No, I mean, I, I work pretty steadily and I, I go back and edit kind of while I'm going. So most of the stuff I think is in there sort of belongs. So do you have to complete research before you go, uh, begin writing or since you lived 
these courtroom scenes and and a life as an attorney, do you not have to do a lot of research? Yeah, I don't have to do a lot of research on those two. On on the middle grade book is about a, a young girl who has dyslexia and I did not actually have any personal experience with dyslexia. So I did a fair amount of research on that before I uh, started writing just because I, I wanted it to be credible. I mean, I wasn't trying, I wasn't trying to become an expert. And, you know, there, there's a point in the book where the teenager kind of does get some help. And a number of people have said to me, well, you didn't really describe exactly how they helped her and taught her how to read. And I said, you know what, that's, that would have been beyond my realm of expertise and it wasn't worth learning it just to get that part right. So I just kind of left that a little vague, but, um, but yeah, so I did do a fair amount of research for that book. I think sometimes if we do too much research, we just want to dump a lot of backstory into the, into the book. And then we'll end up taking that out anyway. What was the best money you think you've ever spent as a writer? Oh, wow. Um, I would say the money I spent on the classes at Sarah Lawrence. Um, I really had no idea of how important they would be to me, not even just in what I learned, but in making friends and becoming part of a community of people that were writing and that would lead me on to other people. Um, and so I would say that's probably the best money I spent. What about your family? How do they accept your new career as a writer? Do they still see you in the attorney's role or are they thinking that you're a real writer now? (laughs) I think they think I'm more of a real writer than I do. (laughs) Um, My husband is definitely my biggest fan. And, you know, because the books are legal in nature and he's an attorney also, he's been able to really help me promote them in ways that I would not have myself had the context to do. Um, I I was practicing in a public defender's office. It's kind of a smaller world, but he's kind of more in the business world. Um, So yeah. And then I think the kids are proud. I mean, they're, you know, they're older, my kids, obviously we're, we're all over 50. So I mean, my kids are 24 and 22 and, you know, I think it's nice for them to see that I can do something different and, you know, kind of midlife. I think that's been important for them. I think so, too. I think that we're really leaving a legacy for our children to see that you can recreate yourself, you know, and 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 have a second or third career. I hope so. I mean, I hope they choose wisely when they start. And, and, and I was happy as an attorney for many years. So, you know, I think that's good, too. But I, I do think sometimes you have to take a different path. Do you ever Google yourself or read reviews? And if so, how do you deal with the bad ones or the good ones? Um, I definitely Google myself because you want to see what's out there. Uh, Sometimes you find things that you didn't even know were out there, you know, an article or something else. Um, And I I do read my reviews. I I don't know how people don't do that. (laughs) I mean, not that they're all pleasant. They aren't. But, you know, you do. I don't know. For me, I could never think that something was out there and I didn't know what it was. Um, And the ones that are not the greatest, sometimes I think people just pick up a book that's just not their kind of book. And, you know, you can't blame them for that. Like sometimes I pick up a book and I think maybe I'd like that. And then I realize it's a genre that just doesn't do it for me. And I would never write a not nice review. That, That would never occur to me. But you know, I guess people feel like they put in the time reading, they should also review and that's fine. So, you know, I just kind of dismiss some of that. Well, I'm trying to do that myself and let it roll off like a <laughs> off the duck's back, because there's some people who will pick up a book. And after all that author has spent the time and 
effort and money. And they'll say, it just didn't feel right in my hands. So I left a one-star review. And of course, you know, those are the ones that we dwell on. We don't think about all the five-star reviews. We, we dwell on that one, one-star review. No, for sure. Well, also because it brings down your average and you're like, did you really need to file that thing? Exactly. Right now, always our last interview question is our writers over 50 are quite unique. Do you have advice for writers 50 and above? Just don't be afraid. Just feel like, you know, you're going to put it out there. You're putting yourself out there. It is terrifying, but you just, if you just do it, you kind of get over that fear eventually. And if you connect with one or two people who love your book or who stop and, you know, might, you know, write you a note and say, it was great to read your book, like that's going to be worth it to you. So I would just get out there and do it. I think that's great advice. And we just appreciate your time today and being with us and sharing your expertise with other authors and readers and writers out there. And we're happy to say that you're now one of our authors over 50. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend and check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.